We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Upheaval in the race for who will be Chicago's next mayor lately seems to have stolen the spotlight and most of the auction in a way from the statewide races in November, which come months earlier and directly affect a lot more people. But for those who are paying attention, the race for Illinois Attorney General has gotten hotter and more visible. This weekend, we talk with the Republican candidate in the race, Erica Harold. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. With current Attorney General Lisa Madigan not running for another term, this race is for an open seat, and it pits Central Illinois lawyer and former Miss America Erica Harold against Chicago State Senator Kwame Raoul. We spoke with Senator Raoul two weeks ago, so it's time for a conversation with Ms. Harold. Erica Harold practices in Champaign, and she's a U of I grad, but her law degree is from Harvard. She's been an outspoken advocate for those tormented by bullying and youth violence. As we discussed back in the primary, she was a target of racial and sexual harassment in high school. Ms. Harold has also made her mark as a conservative activist, something that's been an issue in this campaign. But that's far from the only issue on either side of this hard-fought race, as you will hear in this next half hour. Erica Harold, welcome back. Thanks for having me again. Uh, well, lately, this contest has been getting uh, more attention than the race for governor between uh, Republican Bruce Rauner and Democratic challenger J.B. Pritzker, although uh, as we were speaking, I think the governor was uh, making some remarks that he was hoping would uh, uh, get him back to the uh, top of the uh, of the news headlines. But uh, just over a week ago, your opponent picked up the endorsement of Planned Parenthood of Illinois. That's not a surprise. Uh, Kwame Raoul is pro-choice, but one of the leaders of the group said that you want to turn the clock back on abortion. And the group's statement uh, that went along with that said her record on reproductive health does not instill confidence in those who would expect the attorney general to defend other people's rights and not impose personal beliefs on their constituents. So how do you instill confidence in voters that your pro-life beliefs won't drive the way you carry out your duties if you're elected? From the very beginning of this campaign, including in the primary, I talked about the fact that I view this job as being about enforcing Illinois law, and I've made clear that that's what I will do. And as a result, my opponent in the primary started calling me the liberal Miss Harold because he disagreed with my conception of this office as being about enforcing the law. And so I was willing to state those views during the primary when voters in the primary could have held that against me. And I've will continue to articulate the fact that this is about enforcing the law. Well, let me ask you the same question I asked Kwame Raoul then. Uh, what difference does it make then whether a progressive Democrat or a conservative Republican is in the attorney general's office? It should not make a difference in terms of enforcing the law and upholding the law. So much of what the attorney general is supposed to do in Illinois is to be able to fulfill the statutory responsibilities of the office. The attorney general represents the state anytime the state is sued. The attorney general has enforcement power as it relates to consumer protection issues. They handle the Charitable Trust Bureau. 
There is the public access counselor. Those issues should not turn on your political ideology. It's about your willingness to enforce the law, your willingness to make sure that all of those duties are effectuated in a fair and equitable manner. Do you find, though, that people expect uh, you to be one way and Kwame Raoul to be another when it comes to personal views? Uh, frankly, I, th- I think maybe a lot of people, even at the national level, uh, as we are seeing in the fight over uh, the, uh, the next Supreme Court justice, people say, but those personal views make a difference. As I've been traveling throughout the state of Illinois, voters time and time again say they want someone who will take the partisanship out of the attorney general's office and who will hold both sides accountable. One of the jobs of the attorney general is to be a watchdog. And so voters want someone to be a constitutional officer that will be willing to do that, that will be willing to enforce the law, and that will focus on the issues that affect their lives most. And I'm committed to doing that. Um, Are there any personal views of Senator Raul's that you worry might leak into the, uh, the attorney general's office if he were elected? Well, it concerns me that he believes that one's personal views should affect how you do the office. We are running for a job where we are swearing to uphold the Constitution and we are swearing to enforce the law. Your personal views should not influence your willingness to do your job. Well, now we'll get to your campaign ads in a bit, but your opponent is running one that uh, I'm sure you've uh, gotten used to uh, to seeing and and hearing uh, that focuses, uh, focuses on a statement that was attributed to you and made when you were, what, 19 uh, or something close to that. Uh, basically, you reportedly said that you would prefer to place a foster child in a home with a heterosexual couple that had had past problems with child abuse rather than in a home with a same-sex couple. Senator Raul says views like that are so extreme that they still matter even now. You have responded to this more than once. You've responded to this, but we need to get it out there again. Yes, and I appreciate the opportunity to respond. As I've repeatedly said, I do not remember that specific exchange. If that is the question and that was and that was my response, then it is absolutely wrong. But what I've also made clear is that I support the right of same-sex couples to be able to adopt and to be able to foster parent. And I think the fact that Senator Raul continues to misstate my position is something that's an insult to voters because his ad makes it seem as if that is a current position. And I have stated time and time again that I support the right of same-sex couples to be able to adopt and to be able to be foster parents and that no child should be in an abusive environment. And for him to continue to put that ad on the air is an insult to voters. He should instead be focusing on his accomplishments and run on his own record. Um, Can I ask if you support same-sex marriage? It's the law of the land, and I wouldn't do anything to undo that. Well, some Illinois lawmakers want to undo what was uh, HB 40, House Bill 40. That would that broadened the use of taxpayer funds for abortion services. It is a state law now. Uh, what's your view on the repeal attempt and 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 defending the existing law? Nothing has changed with respect to my views on the law and my view on my obligation to defend the law. When it was signed into law, I said I did not support it, but I said that I'm running for a job where I am swearing to uphold and defend Illinois law, and that is what I will do. And that's why your personal views do not come into into take into this office. 
This job is about taking Illinois law and making sure that you fulfill your obligations to defend it. But is there a tightrope that you have to walk when the, when the Illinois legislature is acting on something that is a law? Technically, your job is to, is, is to, is to protect that law. What, what do you do? Do you, do you recuse yourself? No. The, the, what you're supposed to do, your obligation under Illinois law, is if, for example, the constitutionality of a statute is challenged, you have an obligation as an officer of the court and as the attorney general to go in and to defend the constitutionality of the General Assembly's choice to enact that law. That's your constitutional responsibility, and that's the responsibility that I would fulfill. Um, now, let's talk a little bit about your ads. Uh, you now have a website, uh, RaulMadigan.com, highlighting what your campaign calls a 14-year partnership between your opponent and House Speaker Michael Madigan. You say they have worked hand-in-hand. Hand. That is correct. For the for the time that Senator Raul has been in Springfield, he has worked with Speaker Madigan on various specific agenda items that we have laid out on the website. For example, they did team up in 2014 to, they were the chief co-sponsors of a piece of legislation that would have allowed the city of Chicago to be able to raise property taxes on people within the city. That's problematic for a variety of reasons. First of all, the way our property tax system exists, there's, there are inherent conflicts of interest where lawmakers who are setting tax policy, property tax policy, are also lawmakers who have businesses where they represent litigants in property tax appeals. That's a conflict of interest that should not exist. And not only has Senator Raul not done anything to stand up and try to change that and to stand up against that conflict of interest, he actually partnered with Speaker Madigan to allow tax to try to allow taxes to be raised, which would only exacerbate the inequities that exist within the system. How would you resolve the conflict of uh, the lawmakers who do, and there are a number of them at at various levels, at the city level as well, uh, who do have a tax appeal business? I think I would call upon the General Assembly to specifically prohibit lawmakers from being able to represent litigants before property tax appeal boards. And right now, there's already a precedent in the law for a similar sort of scenario. Right now, lawmakers are precluded from representing clients before the court of claims, and they're precluded from representing them before the Workers' Compensation Commission because there is an inherent conflict of interest. And so I would say that the property tax appeal process should be treated the same way as those other scenarios. But the property tax appeal process is a very lucrative one for, for Indeed, a lot of people. Indeed, and that's why I think, and uh, my point exactly, and that's why you've not seen action taken. And the reality is, People are free to run property tax appeals businesses, and they are free to represent clients in those appeals. But what they should not be doing is also represent people in Springfield and set tax policy because there is an inherent conflict of interest. So what we are saying is you choose. Do you most want to represent people and set tax policy or do you want to run a business where you help people appeal tax? We are simply saying the conflict of interest in and of itself is one that is impermissible. And that's why you see that conflict of interest prohibited with respect to the Court of Claims and the Workers' Compensation Commission. Now, I'm not going to name names in this, but I want to know what your view is of a certain tactic that uh, 
that seems to be used every once in a while in cases like this, where a lawmaker will recuse themselves from the actual tax vote. And and that, you know, they, they say, well, absolves them of it. In fact, in, in, in the city council, it's called a Rule 14. Well, I certainly think people should recuse themselves from votes where they have a conflict of interest. But anybody who follows politics knows that by the time something gets called for a vote, the outcome is usually determined. So merely recusing yourself from the vote, I don't think is sufficient. Hmm. Uh, When we talked with uh, Kwame Raoul a couple of weeks ago about his partnership with uh, Mike Madigan, he pointed out that he ran for the Senate and in the primary for attorney general without the backing of Mike Madigan or the regular Democrats, that he has not, uh, until this endorsement or this, uh, this, this nomination, been considered a regular Democrat. And he, he uh, suggests that you're making something more of He's a Democrat, and yes, he he works with other Democrats. He was certainly supported by the Cook County Democrats during the primary. And the issue, though, is the actions he's taken during his 14 years in Springfield, where he has worked in connection with Speaker Madigan on things that thwart taxpayers' interests. So to give you another example, there's the issue of legislative redistricting. Senator Raul was in charge of that redistricting process, and he has all and that is the redistricting process that continued to give Speaker Madigan his speakership. And I believe firmly that it should be an independent commission that draws those legislative districts. Senator Raul does not. He thinks the legislature should still have a hand in being able to draw those districts. To me, it's yet one more conflict of interest. You have the very same lawmakers who are currently in power wanting to be the ones who draw the maps to make sure that they are able to maintain that power. Um, We're going to flip the coin on this question in just a minute. Uh, You are listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and my guest is Erica Harrell, the Republican candidate for Illinois Attorney General. Um, Kwame Raul then turned around uh, a couple of weeks ago and said, now let's talk about Erica Harold. She, <laughs> she was recruited by Governor Rauner uh, to get into this race uh, and that you have the backing of the state GOP and have had it from the very beginning. So doesn't that put you hand in hand with the party regulars and the governor? It does not. Many people have encouraged me to pursue this office of attorney general. In fact, when I ran for Congress back in 2014, I was running in a Republican primary and lots of Republicans were trying to urge me to leave the race because they said I should be running for a different office. And and specifically, they said I should be running for attorney general instead. So there are many people who were encouraging me to run for this office. And the issue is not whether you have the support of your party. At this point in time, I would hope that you would have the support of members of your party. The issue is what have you done in power to be able to represent the people's interests? And when you look at Senator Raul's 14 years in Springfield, 
You do not see any evidence of him standing up and challenging Speaker Madigan on issues that would affect the people. That's the issue. It's when you have influence and when you have power, have you used it to actively speak truth to power and to stand up against those who would wield power for political interests as opposed to the public's interests? What in his record would you say should give voters uh, some hesitation about supporting him? I believe philosophically he has taken positions that I think have harmed taxpayers. And for example, he voted in 2005 to give Rod Blagojevich ability to skip to skip pension payments. And so there was a pension holiday. That's a real problem because everyone knows that when you skip those pension payments, it then costs more money down the line to be able to repay them. And Illinois right now finds itself in a situation with many unfunded pension liabilities. And it's not fair that now it's the person who has the pension that has to worry about whether that's going to be secure when it's lawmakers who chose not to fulfill their obligation. That's a real problem. And it's because of that problem that he and Speaker Madigan were the chief co-sponsors of the bill to try to raise property taxes in 2014 in the city of Chicago. They used the rationale as being about the unfunded pension liabilities. Well, he was part of the problem because he voted to give Blagojevich the opportunity to skip those pension payments in the first place. That's a problem. Uh, One of the uh, points that you make in your ad about uh, the two of them is about public corruption. And uh, there, you and other, other Republicans suggest that a Democratic Party endorsed candidate might not be trusted to go after corruption in Illinois government as aggressively as, uh, as someone else might. Governor Rauner, in fact, has suggested that he hopes you would go after Mike Madigan. Um, how do you keep the office itself from being used as a political weapon? I mean, this is somebody basically urging you to go after someone that hasn't been charged with anything yet. The office should never be used to punish political opponents. And I've said that from the very beginning. And when I talk about public corruption, I'm talking about things like patronage hiring. I'm talking about contracts being given in ways that don't go through the proper protocol. And I'm talking about the conflicts of interest that make the average person feel that their interests are not being fully weighted as someone else when a lawmaker is making a determination. And that's why the office should be less partisan, because you want your decisions to be based on the law. You want it to be based on clear ideas of what's in the public's interest, but it should never be used as a weapon against anyone. But how do you stand up? How does anyone stand up to that if the leader of your party, the leader of the state were to say, you need to be looking at this? And and like I said, I'm not isolating this to state Uh, to state politics, because we are sometimes seeing that kind of thing played out at the federal level, too, where, you know, someone perhaps in the White House might suggest that uh, that somebody ought to be uh, gone after, whether it's the media or uh, certain individuals. That's where the rule of law comes into play. So if someone has evidence of misconduct, then they have an affirmative obligation to put that before the proper entity. And then if you have evidence of misconduct before you, then you should pursue an investigation. But you never use the office as just sort of a roving investigative tool because that's not power that you have. 
you have to make sure that there are specific statutes that empower you to take action, that there are that there is evidence of allegations of misconduct. You can't just decide that you dislike someone. So therefore, you're going to open an investigation into them. That would be an abuse of power. Uh, Let me ask you about uh, abuses of consumers, because one perhaps one of the primary functions of the office is is consumer protection. What should be the primary focus or your or what would be your top targets, uh, uh, at least as far as that's concerned? Consumer protection is a very important part of the attorney general's office. and I want to make sure to give credit to where credit is due. I think Attorney General Madigan has done a good job in the arena of consumer protection. Some of the issues that I would focus on with respect to consumer protection, identity theft, predatory lending. I would want to use the office's visibility to be able to highlight for people when there might be particular scenarios or scams of which they need to be aware. I think those are appropriate ways of being able to utilize the office's power and visibility. But I do want to stress that I think that Attorney General Madigan has done a good job in that arena. Um, And it's something, it seems that it was something that she made as a mission early on is that do you see yourself in the same kind of position where this is this is going to be one of the things that you want to be a hallmark of your administration if you were to run it consumer protection will absolutely be a priority because there are state and federal laws that specifically give attorneys general enforcement power as it relates to consumer fraud and so i would absolutely want to use that power to be able to protect the interests of people within the state. Some of the other priorities would be criminal justice reform, the opioid epidemic, workers' compensation reform, public corruption, issues of sexual harassment and cyberbullying. Those are all issues that I would highlight as well because they are uniquely situated in the attorney general's office for you to be able to use your voice, use your power to bring the relevant stakeholders to the table. Talk a little bit about criminal justice reform because I know you've been very active in that outside of uh, your private uh, practice. Uh, What can the attorney general's office do to better help uh, reform the, the court system? There are a variety of things that the attorney general's office could do. And it'd be important for me to use that power because for the past 11 years, I've served on the national board of directors of a group called Prison Fellowship the nation's largest outreach to inmates and their families. And we've worked on a bipartisan basis to try to forge a consensus on criminal justice reform. Specifically, one of the things the attorney general's office could do is to encourage more counties to use problem solving courts. So drug courts, veterans courts, mental health courts, where it's giving judges discretion in in scenarios and dealing with individuals who might have specific factors that should be taken into consideration when a judge is trying to decide is incarceration versus a diversion program appropriate. I also think the attorney general can encourage more cooperation among law enforcement and social service providers on the opioid epidemic. During the course of this campaign, I've been doing opioid roundtables in communities throughout Illinois And I've been talking to law enforcement, mental health providers about what are the ways we can better leverage our resources to be proactive on issues of prevention and providing greater access to treatment facilities. And the reason why I think the attorney general can uniquely do those things is you have the power to convene. You have the ability to bring a lot of stakeholders together in a way where nobody needs to get the credit, but that you have 
the power to be able to say, this is going to be something that we work on as a state collaboratively together. Uh, what are you hearing from, from them, from those stakeholders when you've gone around the state? Uh, what's the, what are the biggest complaints or the biggest wishes that you're hearing? The biggest wishes is unsurprisingly more resources. Right now, Illinois, like most states, does not have sufficient number of treatment facilities for people who need treatment. And when I talk to law enforcement and anyone who's a professional in this field, they say that when someone decides that they are ready to seek treatment, it is critical that you actually have a bed waiting for that person at the time they've made that decision, because if you don't, then you might find yourself in a position where you've missed that critical window of opportunity. And one of the specific ideas that I've been exploring with law enforcement and those within the treatment world is trying to see if there can be a database statewide that has a listing of all of the different treatment facilities and in real time says how many beds are available. Because oftentimes family members would be willing to drive a loved one five to six hours from the county in which they reside if it meant that their loved one was was actually going to be able to have treatment immediately. And that immediacy is so important when you're trying to deal with a a problem as urgent as the opioid epidemic. Um, When you have a a statewide system of caregivers, but... uh, Different counties have different computer systems, and is it is there technologically a way to create a statewide database? Is it something that has to reside in the cloud? Is it something that, well, there's a basis for because you're doing some other things statewide? There, I'm still exploring what's the best way of trying to compile this data. First, I wanted to talk to variety of the stakeholders to see if such a thing already existed and whether it would actually be beneficial and whether it would be imposing unfunded mandates upon people. But it seems like this data already is being collected at the facility level. And so I'm trying to explore what would be the best ways of being and the most cost effective ways of being able to compile this data. But the reality is that if there's a bed open in a specific part of Illinois and there's somebody who needs treatment the onus is upon us as a state to figure out how to make that accessible and available because we have to do more to save lives. Um, and, and as you point out, though, it is something that will cost money. I was going to ask about the other thing that you talked about, uh, and that is the problem courts. Are we finding that those that it costs more money to set those kinds of things up, or is it something that can be done within... The, the current budget of some uh, some court systems counties that are that have already adopted these problem solving courts they are starting to study and get the data in in terms of cost savings but they are finding that they are saving money and so it's trying to better u- utilize the resources that we are already spending within the system to see if we can better pu- better target them to get people into treatment earlier. Because if you're trying to talk about drug court, for example, waiting until someone has spent many years within the addiction cycle, that's not the right time to try to give them treatment because a lot of other things then will have been hindered in their life. Trying to help someone at the very beginning be able to have access to critical treatment opportunities, you want to do it at the very beginning when you can most help them because that's when it's going to be most effective. Uh, We only have a a minute left. 
polls suggest that uh, that you're in an uphill fight. Uh, do you sometimes, you know, just sort of sigh and think, you know, do I really, is, is this really the life I want? <laughs> <laughs> well, I will tell you this. I'm really confident that the polls are moving my way or else you would not see my opponent running the kind of ads that he's running. It's very telling that the very first face you see in his general election commercial is not his own talking about his record, but mine because he's trying to scare the voters. Because I think he understands that when I get my message out, I have something compelling to share with the voters. And when he has his 14-year record to run on, the only thing he can point to is being part of the political status quo. That's going to be the final word. I would like to thank Erica Harrell, Republican candidate for Illinois Attorney General. Thank you for spending the half hour with me. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, To our listeners, if you would like a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website. That's WBBMNewsRadio.com. You can also find our podcasts on Radio.com. I will be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.